It's Tuesday, March 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We got something different in store for the dozens of listeners. Uh, we're going to be talking about the news of the day through the lens of a little thing we like to call buy, sell, or hold. So I'm going to spot up these news stories, and you tell me if you're buying, selling, or holding. And we can go in a few different directions, on uh, really on all three. But let's let's start in the world of retail. Dick's Sporting Goods is launching its own line of men's athletic apparel, and they are aimed at competing with Lululemon. This is available online starting today, and they're starting in 400 locations uh, at Dick's Sporting Goods across the country. So buy, sell, or hold their new line of athletic apparel for men. Uh, I'm going to hold because there's a, there's a mix of positives and negatives that I see here. Uh, first of all, you didn't, uh, you didn't announce the name of the brand. Um, VSTR, is that it? Close. It, it, it's VRST. I, I had the letters. All caps. So go ahead and pronounce that the way that uh, we'll be pronouncing that when it's a truly monumental thing. They have paid people to brand this. This, is, this wasn't uh, arrived at within Versed? seconds. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Versed? Okay, you're the expert. Um, <laughs> sure, why not? Are you saying that in all caps, by the way? Because I think I, it's a little I, different than if it were all lowercase. I don't, I don't want to yell. I, so look, know, this, is, this is a, a, a thing that, look, Dick's probably uh, would, would prefer in, in the world of branding, uh, you know, to, to not have its own name at times um, and to have some other name. But uh, I can see wanting to brand away from the, you know, the, the parent company name. They've got other brands. Uh, Calia, I think, is the women's athleisure brand, which is uh, done with Carrie Underwood and has been very successful. And I've been in um, Dick Sporting Goods and and seen it and didn't realize it was an in-house thing. Um, so I, I think that uh, given the success that they've had under uh, current management, I'm a fan of what they're trying, uh, but I, I don't think that, you know, the men's division is going to be probably as successful in the athleisure world for them as, as the women seems to have been. Uh, but I don't know. They've, they're kind of one of the few remaining players uh, in the, the sporting goods category. There was a bit of carnage there. I don't know, five, eight years ago, something like that. Uh, a lot of the, national brands were wiped out and and dix has got the playing field more to itself than most other uh companies in retail that i can think of so i get that they are positioning this new brand as competing with lululemon but i think if you're nike or under armor and i'll i'll add the further caveat especially if you're under armor i think I think they should be more worried than Lululemon. But you tell me, who who should be the most nervous of those three? I don't know if any of them is going to be nervous about this. Uh, that is, the Lululemon uh, is doing so well uh, in uh, women's athleisure. You know, what Dix has done there is just uh, very, very 
small competition, I think, compared to Lululemon. Uh, can can Dix comp- uh, compete in the men's division against Lululemon? Uh, yeah, I think they can if they've got the styling right and all that. So Nike and Under Armour are first and foremost performance brands, which then extend a little bit into why don't you just wear our stuff all the time, whether you're competing or, or exercising or not. And and Dix is coming at it from the opposite perspective. Why don't you just wear this? And if you feel like breaking out into a run while you're wearing this, go ahead. This would be, I think, if did you go to the, the VRST or however you choose to pronounce it website, which opened today? Uh, I, I did not. I'm not, I'm not looking to buy any apparel at this point in time. Uh, so the first thing that they've got, and it just opened up, is the thing that I guess they, they think would uh, be most appealing to people is the category of commuter pants. And I didn't know that was a thing. I, me neither. Commuter pants. Commuter pants. Yes. If you're going to commute, uh, apparently you need specifically designed you gotta pants your, for your that. special commuter pants. Well, I would say they're not going to chase. They're they're chasing people who have a job and might go to work in, in a place and commute to it. Uh, but beyond that, I don't, I don't know what the pants do for you. This is going to be like you. I look at this move. I think it's um, I think it's a smart move in part, as you said, they've had some success with the Kalia line for women. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with this. But I, I think it's a hold at this point. Um, let's move on to Google, because also today, Google unveiled the second generation Nest Hub, which is a smart display and speaker. And because it's second generation, this one comes with the ability to track your sleep using built-in radar. It sells for $99. It is available on March 30th, but you can order it today. Buy, sell, or hold this new generation Nest Hub being a hit for Google. Uh, I'm going to hold that as well. I, I don't think it's an obvious sell. I think that the ability for ambient computing to improve your sleep uh, is actual and is needed by a lot of people, uh, a huge number of people, depending on what uh, you know, surveys you're looking at, have some levels of uh, sleep disruption, sleep apnea. Um, I think that if it is a a system that learns, you know, what sort of sounds return you quickly to sleep, what times you tend to wake up, uh, and and can work with you in the in the sort of the corner of ambient computing, which is probably uh, you know most useful, which is when you're you're completely unconscious, or you know, not unconscious, but you're you're not fully conscious when you're asleep. So uh, I I can see the use for it. I got to say, last night, my dogs got me up at 4.30 in the morning. If there were some system that would help them get back to sleep at 4.30 in the morning, I would pay a lot of money for it uh, rather than have to get up and, and let them outside uh, at that hour. So just, that may not be the, the thing may not be programmed for that in, in the 1.0 version. But I'm telling you, 2.0, dog lullabies. 
Well, let's be clear. This is 2.0. This is the 2.0 version of the Nest Hub. Um, and 2.1 th- then. 2.1 needs I to think, have dog lullabies. I think this thing is a sell. And I'll tell you why. I, I think Google, for all of the success that that business has had over the years, uh, it is worth pointing out that Google bought Nest seven years ago for $3.2 billion in cash. And I'm pretty sure they went through their sofas at the office and found that cash. So it's, it's not a question of whether or not they could afford it. But at the time, it was seen as, okay, this is a lot to pay based on the private market valuations at the time for Nest. And it was seen at the time, rightfully so, as Google is making a big push into the smart home. This is Google making a serious investment in the smart home. And holy cow, let's see where they go with this. And here we are seven years later. And the next generation of this device, the big headline is, oh, it tracks your sleep uh, with radar. You don't have to wear anything on your wrist. It'll track your sleep from across the room. God knows what else it's going to track. Don't even think about that, but it's going to track your sleep from across the room, wherever you put it. And I just look at this and I think, really, this is the big innovation? This is the big upgrade that's going to make people say, well, I didn't want to buy the old one, but now that this creepy thing can track my sleep from across the room, put me down for a couple. Well, uh, the company, from what I understand it, is not marketing and branding it as a creepy thing. So that's one thing to keep in mind, uh, is that they're going to market it to a different audience than those that prefer to be creeped out in their sleep. Right. Uh, Smart. Yeah. Now, I, I, as I say, I'm a hold. I'm a hold because, you know, the, the transition of Nest into Google, into Google Home, in and out, and, and finally, that sort of united everything under one brand. It's taking a lot longer than probably anybody thought it was going to need to. Um, and I am, am possibly in the market for, you know, doing some sort of smart home thing when I do some renovations on my house, but I can't put my finger on what it is that I really want uh, in that category. So I, I think that the the ideas of the smart home are still out there, but I'm not sure that they're marketing very well yet. Let's move on to our last story. This requires a little bit of explanation. Um, Beach. Beach is the acronym for a category of stocks. Buy. I'm buying. <laughs> is, that, is it beach for sale? Because Hang they're not on. making let, more of it, you know. Let me get through this. So B-E-A-C-H stands for booking, entertainment, airlines, casinos slash cruises and hotels. This acronym, I'm embarrassed to say, has been around for a year, and I'm just learning about it today. Um, So buy, sell, or hold the acronym and the category of stocks right now. Uh, I'm not buying the acronym because, as you say, it's not it's not gaining ground out there. And there, you're using C twice, and the E is confusing. And and I think you know the, you can use a G in there for gaming instead of casinos if you want. Uh, I think I think there are other acronyms out there. So I'm I'm selling that this this one uh, is not going to take hold. But the concept you know is already out there. It, it needs something to sort of unify these 
things that everybody wants to get back to doing when, when it's safe to do them. And that's book a trip, get on a plane, go to a hotel, you know, be around a, a casino, go to, go to live events. And, uh, the, all the stocks, obviously it's too late to buy them anywhere near the bottom. Uh, they've all rebounded quite a bit, uh, especially since the vaccine news first came out. And as the vaccine rollout in this country, uh, takes hold in a, a pretty good uh, speed, pretty good manner compared to uh, what originally could be expected. Um, but, you know, internationally, I'm not sure that any of these uh, ideas are, are taking traction right now for international travel, at least for Americans. When you look at the, um, let's just take one part of this category of stocks, um, when you think about lodging, hotels, resorts, obviously you can put Airbnb in there as well. Um, is there any in particular that you think looks particularly attractive? As you said, none of these can be bought at the bottom. That time has passed. But uh, I'm wondering if you look at that group and think some have better long-term prospects than others. I think that it is possible that with good reason, cruises are still closer to their, their bottom, that they're, they're, they're opening up and really being able to function uh, at anything close to what they were doing prior to this pandemic is further away. The nature of the cruise to be, you know, a captive audience, the, they're, they're built to, be high density things. I think that uh, the, the, in terms of uh, buffet dining, you know, that's that's a thing that's going to uh, be very tricky to reimplement. So, I, I think that just by virtue of you are discounting further out a return to normalcy for that enterprise, the prices may be still more attractive for for the group. Uh, they've got a lot of debt now. They've Couple of the uh, cruise lines have refinanced. They've they've sold some equity. They put in some more convertible debt out there. So uh, I think that their balance sheets are not uh, calamitous right now. But you know, other things have, have rebounded more and are are maybe factoring in you know a, a, a good times ahead in a way that the cruises can't yet. I hadn't even thought of that um, until you mentioned it, just the uh, the idea of buffet dining and how, of course, f for the cruise industry, logistically, they just have so many more things that they have to figure out how to get them right and do so in a safe manner, as opposed to even just a, a basic hotel business. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been in hotels in the last year, very uh, little, but uh, I've I've had reason to to travel and stay in a hotel, and uh, you know, uh, you just wait to be the only one on an elevator or something like that, and uh, you know, they haven't opened, uh, they had not opened up restaurants uh, when I was in a hotel back in the fall, uh, you know. You could just eat somewhere else, and hotels aren't able to do that part of the business and shut it down. You don't have that option with cruises. I mean, that's actually one of the great attractions for cruises is come and eat as much as you want all the time. It'll be great. And uh, and, and the way that they're able to do that is, is by offering 
you know, some sit down meals, but a lot of buffet options. So uh, I, I think they've, they've got logistical issues that are going to be tougher. And of course the audience is largely older for cruises. So, you know, you've got a much higher risk category in their audience uh, than these, than these other uh, entities have. Uh, you know, airlines have done a, have done a good job from what little I understand about the science of, you know, pumping, you know, fresh air in and out um, and, and making that a, a safer travel experience than people at first thought. Uh, and, and people can distance themselves to hotels. I, I think how cruises get from here to the next generation of cruises, I don't know, but it's going to be bumpy. Uh, two quick things before we wrap up. Uh, first, just uh, on the hotel front, do you think this actually results in um, more people using the, what I have to assume is a high margin part of the hotel business, the mini bar? If people are just like, well, you know, the bar isn't open, uh, I'll just avail myself of the mini bar, which of, of course is quite expensive, <laughs> much more expensive than an actual bar. I'm wondering if that, I can't imagine Marriott or any hotel business breaks that out, but it wouldn't surprise me if more people started availing themselves of the mini bar. Um, a little bit. I mean, I think you can, you can distance yourself, uh, at a, at a bar. Um, not really when you're sitting right at the bar, but the table's outside. Um, so yeah, incremental, I guess a little bit good, good margins, as you point out, great, great margins for the, uh, for the hotels. I don't, I don't know where they get the majority of that business is it just people coming back to their rooms after already being out and grabbing one more drink. Yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> the prices are so, so alarming that if you are aware of them at all, you, you make an effort to like leave the hotel to go buy a six pack or something. And that, that'll cost you as much as the one beer from your, your room. I mean, a six pack, that's just gluttonous. I mean, it, I, most people just want a, a single nightcap. So like just crack open one beer, one little bottle of wine, one little, but it, it's the principle of the thing. Go out and buy yourself a fifth. Even you're probably not going to have all of it, but it's like the same price as, as the little the little bottle. You definitely don't want to polish off a fifth of anything <laughs> other than water in a single night. Um, real quick from longtime listener Bill King, he writes: I'm still getting caught up on market foolery episodes from last week, but I have to question Bill's comment about Babe Ruth versus Pete Rose. While it's true that Pete Rose did not steal as many bases as people typically think, he is well ahead of what Babe Ruth did. Uh, it was really more of a metaphor uh, that I was talking <laughs> about. God, I would love it if, if a CEO uh, it, during the next wave of earnings calls just broke that out. It's like, you know, you said this about your revenue projections. Well, it was really more of a metaphor. Yeah, and and uh, what and and what it was a metaphor for, of course, is that Babe Ruth was actually a lot faster uh, in his youth uh, than people give him credit for, and that uh, Pete Rose was uh, not. Although Charlie Hustle, I, I think, goes at so, and the stat that I'll lean on now to uh, attempt to prove that point is Babe Ruth, uh, in a shorter career, actually had uh, more triples than pete rose did 
not by a lot, 136 to 135, I believe. Uh, but advantage Ruth there. And I would say the triple is probably more uh, of a measurement, uh, if you can measure them apples to apples uh, on somebody's speed and hustle than, than stolen bases are. Uh, that said, Ruth was playing in an enormous stadium at the time. Short uh, right field porch, of course, for his uh, swing designed to uh, accommodate him. But, um, you know, the left field was insane. Uh, 450 yards or 450 feet, 470 something in Death Valley. So there was a lot of opportunity to uh, have a ball uh you know, go for a triple in a way that the, the smaller stadiums uh, that, that uh, had started to appear by the time Rose was playing. So, uh, but I think at, at, at his peak, Ruth would have beaten Rose in a foot race. Now, at his peak being his peak racing, not his peak as a player, which was more in his 30s and when he was not as late on his feet. Bill Barker, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you feel. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.